When you hear these sounds, what do you remember? Where are you standing? Of course, you're standing out on the Esplanade near Coates Center. The fountain is here, ahead of you is the Murkison Tower and Parker Chapel, and there's red brick everywhere. The unique design of the campus is just one reason why Trinity University stands out from the crowd, and whether you know it or not, it's probably one of the reasons why stepping onto the campus feels so inviting. I'm Nathan Cohn, class of 1995, and welcome to Trinity University's Learning Together podcast series. Today, we're talking about architect O'Neill Ford, whose mid-century modern design of the Trinity campus took into account the natural landscape the university's trustees had to work with. It wasn't an easy place to build a university, but as you well know, there's nothing else like it. My guest is Associate Professor of Art History Catherine O'Rourke, an expert on O'Neill Ford and his work in the Southwest. Catherine O'Rourke, thank you so much for being here with me today. It's a pleasure. Thank you. All right. So I'm very excited to welcome you here and talk about this campus, Trinity University's campus, and the architect O'Neill Ford, who designed many of the buildings that we know and love on campus, certainly, of course, the original campus. There's been buildup since then, but O'Neill Ford is what hangs this place together, I think. And so um, uh, why don't you tell me uh, just briefly uh, where your interest in his architecture came from in the first place? So my interest in, in his architecture and his work in this campus came when I came to teach at Trinity in 2009. When I first moved to San Antonio, I lived near the campus and I was actually able to walk to work most days. And it was, I lived south of, of the campus and would walk up through lower campus, up the hill, up to upper campus to my, to my office. Um, in, in the Dickey Smith building. And it was in the course of these walks to and from uh, to my office every day that I really got to appreciate uh, and, and see this campus and, and realize that there was something very, very special going on here. And I knew a little bit about Ford as an architectural historian, but I really had never um, seen his buildings uh, and, and certainly had no idea of the extent of, um, of what the Trinity project had been. Um, so it was, um, I, I've always felt that that's a very special way to get to know this place. It's maybe a little bit like students actually start to get to know it. It's just by walking around and I would take different paths and different routes uh, to get to my office so I could see different parts and moments of the campus. As a historian, mm -hmm. you had obviously known uh, probably though about the kind of style of architecture that Trinity was modeled on. Um, but I guess, um, what was your experience like when you were going through and uh, first came onto campus and you um, experienced it in person, being a, a part of it, so mm -hmm. to speak? I think the most um, amazing thing about the campus for me, and, and indeed historically, it's, it's not only about the buildings, it's about the landscape, and it's about the site, and it's about the way that these um, that these original buildings built in the 1950s and 1960s are fitted to the landscape and the way that Ford and his colleagues um, used the escarpment, used this really, in some ways, very difficult landscape to create this incredible campus. And that's, um, th that was striking to me right away. Uh, because again, like the students, you know, you have to go up and down the hills and it's not easy to, to walk at Trinity to go these great distances. There are not a lot of straight lines. Um, and to me, that was very compelling. And coming to South Texas, um, this was not a landscape that I personally was particularly familiar with, but it put me in touch with this rock, 
with these uh, the plants that we that we have here. And 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 as I started to do research about the campus, I got very interested in this. I realized that yes, of course, this was precisely the point, right? That early on, um, when the Trinity trustees uh, and an administration are looking for a new site for the campus, that they see this piece of ground and. Many people look at it and say, this is a terrible place for a campus. What are you thinking? Why would you ever buy this horrible <laughs> piece of land, this former quarry? It's rocky. It's uneven. It's We're going to have to be, flatten this whole we, thing. What we should do is flatten it. And indeed, the early proposals, the very first proposals, were to flatten the site and to put a very um, geometric, very hierarchical, axial campus, uh, and very traditional, really, in its architecture on this site. Um, a, an architect named William Worcester, who had been at MIT uh, and, and was um, then at, at Berkeley, uh, came to the site and said, oh, no, 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 wait a minute. You have one of the most magnificent sites anywhere in the country to build a great campus. Use the irregularity. Use the topography. And, and um, Ford admired Worcester very, very deeply. And Worcester remained as a consulting architect for many years um, in the development of the campus in the 50s and 60s. Um, so I, I think that that, um, that aspect of its history, which everybody who spends time here perceives, uh, is, is really part of what makes it so uh, powerful. In terms of the style of the buildings, right, um, I always think of there being, at least from the period that Ford uh, and his colleagues are working here, basically two periods, right? That there's the, the period of the 1950s when we have the famous lift slab buildings and then a very different kind of architecture actually in the 1960s. And yet they work together very beautifully. And um, again, I, I, I knew about this these kinds of buildings from my own study of architectural history, but to see them in a site like this really changed the way I thought about what they were doing and what Ford was doing. One of the things I like about the campus, and we'll go outside, I think, maybe mm -hmm. in a few minutes and uh, look at this in person, but one of the things I, I like about the campus is the way the buildings have just enough space in between them mm -hmm. to where um, there's not this huge distance like you might have on, say, a, a, a far larger campus, mm -hmm. um, but you have just enough to where there's a place to sit, there's some grassland in between the buildings and it feels very natural and uh, it's just a great place to kind of sit and be in as a person. And this is precisely what Ford had in mind. Um, and I should say he, he also worked in the 1950s with some landscape architects called Arthur and Marie Berger, who were some of the first people to, um, to be involved in, in modern landscape design in the United States and using native plants and, and, and um, drought tolerant plants, which of course are so important to us. Um, still today. But absolutely, this point about the small spaces, um, I think one of the other most important elements of the Trinity campus is the scale. Um, the buildings were never meant to be monumental. They were never meant to be overwhelming. It was always intended that this would be a campus built on a human scale. Um, what's powerful about that, exactly as you say, is that there are these, these distances between buildings, and Ford placed the buildings very precisely so that you couldn't put another building between two that existed, uh, but also that so that people had this experience of nature and walking out and being between them. I think it's very powerful for a, a, a college like this uh, because it's it gets to the essence, I think, of what we're doing here uh, at a liberal arts in a, in a liberal arts education, right? And what we're trying to give our students that that there are quiet moments, that there are places for contemplation, 
There are places where you run into your friends unexpectedly. Maybe even you run into the faculty at lunchtime. Um, but that there are, are lots of moments in the campus that are not just about formal classroom education or being in the dorms or going to sports practice that you can sit and read or talk or think. Let me ask uh, just a more practical question real quick here. Going back to the 1950s, late 1940s, I mean, how did Ford get the gig? So um, Worcester actually recommends Ford to the trustees. Worcester uh, is, knows uh, Tom Slick, who is one of the, um, of course, the backer of the famous uh, Ute Slick lift slab construction system, which is uh, what Ford and his colleagues use early on. And explain what that lift slab yeah. is real quick. So, um, so this is a, a construction method fundamentally in which a slab of concrete is poured on the ground and then hoisted into place and affixed to metal beams. And um, Trinity is, if not the first, one of the very first places where this method is used. And it was experimental. It was risky. Um, we have wonderful statements from, from Ford and from Monroe Everett, the president, talking about the, the risks that Trinity was taking in doing this. Part of why they did it, frankly, was because it was um, very inexpensive. Right? Yeah, it I was cost say. <laughs> so much less than building these, these sort of Georgian revival style, colonial revival style um, buildings that, that you might see elsewhere. And that's, that's an important part of the story of architectural modernism in the United States, right? That it's cheaper, frankly, um, than some of these other styles. Uh, so so um, Worcester was aware of Ford from, from some earlier um, interactions and, and was a great supporter of his. And I think saw in this young architect who had come to San Antonio um, to really to, to, to create the La Vita that we know, um, really pushed him and said, you should, you should hire this guy who was a, a, in many ways a kind of iconoclastic um, figure, right? He didn't, he didn't play by all the rules. Uh, certainly of San Antonio at that time. Well, you, you mentioned La Vallita mm -hmm. and uh, O'Neill Ford, we should say, um, some alumni listening right now mm -hmm. may uh, know that Ford was the designer of mm -hmm. the Trinity campus, but Ford was made uh, quite a mark on San Antonio itself. Absolutely. There are lots of his buildings around from the UTSA campus to La Vallita. Mm -hmm. um, you know, talk about some of the other things that sure. he was doing here. Sure. So um, just to back up a little bit, Ford, uh, he grows up in North Texas, right? He's um, he, he's very strongly associated with um, Denton in particular, uh, and also Dallas. He does a lot of work in Dallas as well, and begins his career there working with a, a very important architect named David Williams in Dallas. Um, he comes to San Antonio uh, in '39 uh, to to really oversee Maury Maverick, the famous um, mayor. His his project to um, to turn La Vita into which it was in a um, really derelict condition before, but to turn it into this space that was in some way evocative of 19th century towns in Texas. Um, Ford was fascinated by 19th century buildings, Texas buildings, and he and David Williams had traveled um, throughout rural Texas to these small towns, especially Castroville, but many others as well, and studied um, the vernacular buildings of these places. He admired very much the um, straightforward construction method, the clarity of the materials, the craftsmanship, um, the ways in which these buildings seemed to belong to the conditions in which they were created. Um, and so he, he got very excited about the Vita project. 
um, and, and throughout his career actually was very, very much involved um, with historic preservation. Uh, his firm did a lot of the work in, in, um, in restoring the missions, uh, and so that when we go and visit the missions now, part of what we're seeing is their work. But um, Ford was clear that this was not about a kind of Disneyland version of, of 19th century Texas, that it was a more general evocation of the urbanism of the kind of space. And and when you look closely at his drawings, especially for Vita, it's very clear that these are 20th century buildings that, that are meant to remind us of this other place. And and the Vita story is fascinating. Maury Maverick has a very different vision of it. Um, in any case, uh, Ford comes to really love San Antonio. Uh, he meets his wife, uh, or the woman who will become his wife, uh, Wanda, here, uh, and they become passionate advocates for the preservation of the city. Um, Ford uh, opens an architectural office in King William, uh, a neighborhood that's probably very familiar to many uh, people who've spent time in San Antonio, but before it was this super desirable part of town that it is now. Um, so he, uh, he, he, he really commits himself to the city. Trinity is the first really major, major project. And it is probably the single most important work as a whole he did over the course of his whole life. He was also doing a number of private houses, many of which still stand. In, in Are there any right around the campus? Yeah, like there's, some, there's some right here in Almost Park, actually. Mm -hmm. Yeah, again, a house for Tom Slick, the, the Trinity trustee, um, the there's a, a Frank Murkison house. Um, there, there are a bunch of them throughout town, and, and some of them, unfortunately, have been torn down or, or very heavily altered, uh, but, but they are all over. That was a really important part of his practice as well. Um, he also goes on to design the new, uh, the new campus for St. Mary's Hall, uh, which many people may know. And then much later, of course, the, the firm does uh, uh, the UTSA campus, just to give you an example of some other campuses. Um, he returns to La Vita uh, in the late 50s to design that big assembly building, right, which is that big circular building there. Very different, actually, in character from, uh, from the, the sort of houses that, that we think of as quintessentially La Vita, but it has this famous uh, bicycle spoke, uh, bicycle wheel-like roof, right, that creates this enormous span. Um, that's just a, a is that the one example. with the flower on the top? Yeah, but right. Later they put the flower on the top. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. And and then of course the other um, really iconic thing is uh, his he's very much involved in the early phases of planning for Hemisphere. That um, ends up being extremely controversial because he fights very hard to preserve the old buildings that were on the site of Hemisphere and um, really gets into a lot of political trouble when he he fights hard to keep them. Ultimately, most of them, as we know, were demolished. Um, but, uh, but he and, and particularly his partner, Boone Powell, the, uh, designed the, the famous hemisphere tower that we all know so well. Tower of the Americas. Absolutely. Yeah. So Cool. Well, why don't we go outside okay. and take a look at Great. some of the, uh, things we've been talking about on the campus here at Trinity and mm -hmm. we'll start at the, uh, coat center. What do you say? Terrific. Let's go. Okay, so we're standing out here outside the Coach Center looking over the quad with Wit and Wynn and Miller and all those dorms. You can see the Tower of the Americas, which O'Neill Ford designed off in the distance in the skyline of downtown San Antonio. And we've got this beautiful foliage around us as well and uh, stairs coming up here. Um, one of the things I was reading about, by the way, with O'Neill Ford was what he chose to do in terms of placing stairs and the way that they were built, the choices that he made about 
putting those together. So this is a very famous, these staircases coming up here to uh, Coates Center. I think, you know, students would call them Cardiac Hill at one point. So talk about these, uh, these staircases and the way, and the, way the, the campus slopes down here from one place to the other. We've got two levels. So this is one of my favorite parts of campus. Um, Ford, of course, thought a lot about how to deal with the escarpment, right? This great um, rock face that we all know that runs through the campus. And he comes up with the solution of, of creating these really, um, actually very elegant staircases that connect the, the residential and athletic parts of the campus to the academic parts on upper campus. And, and that decision to even divide the campus sort of programmatically between upper and lower was really important, really profound. Um, the staircases, uh, of course, sometimes the students hate them when they're late to class or you have to run <laughs> up all the stairs and people complain, but they're absolutely essential to the character of this place and to the experience of Trinity. What they make possible is actually a kind of slowing down, even when you're in a hurry, right? They they give you a chance, if you're a student, to move from the space of the dorm, the student-centered part of the campus, into the, the intellectual part, right? The faculty don't come down here appropriately okay um but but i think it's it's a wonderful thing that you you have to go outside you have to be near the trees near the rock face and of course the trees have grown up very heavily but but in the 50s and 60s you could see the rock a great deal more that you're put in touch with nature and with the really powerful geology of this site um as you come up to upper campus and then um of course as you go back down presumably at the end of the day to go back to the dorms or for whatever other activities. Um, that's so much a part of the Trinity mystique, I think, even, um, and, and what the, the very first architects and planners saw, make use of this wonderful hilly site, bring it into the design. Don't try to deny what's difficult about it, what's hard about it, work with it. And, and, and Ford had throughout his life an incredibly powerful, um, response to nature and landscape. He could not stand the destruction of landscape through what he considered thoughtless development. Um, and he spoke very eloquently at many points in his career about the relationship between the way human beings treat the earth and the way they treat each other. And really argued for treating land and landscape with a kind of respect and reverence that he hoped we would also extend to each other. Ford was about 40, 35, 40 years some odd younger than Frank Lloyd Wright, mm -hmm. who uh, most famously in the 1930s uh, developed this his masterwork, Falling Water, which is built on a hillside in Pennsylvania. And there's a little bit of that feeling in uh, in this as well, the way the the staircase and the, the buildings hug the landscape itself did ford and what, what did ford what were his thoughts about right in his work yeah that's a great question um ford very much belongs to the tradition of american modernism that we associate with frank lloyd wright wright talked throughout his career about the concept of organic architecture um in 1932 ford actually writes a, a short essay called organic building um he is a little bit cagey in his writings about exactly how he feels about Wright, but he owned many books about Frank Lloyd Wright. Um, and it is clear that his sensibilities, his, his feelings for sight were very much aligned with Wrightian principles um, of how to design and build. And again, I think that's part of 
why this is a really important place when we look at the broad history of modern architecture in the United States, that, that this is an example of a very distinctive uh, and important contribution that architects here made to how we think about modernism. All right, well, let's walk along from the uh, uh, where we're standing right here from... Uh, looking down on the uh, residential portion of the campus, and we're going to walk across the esplanade here on our way from the Coates Center area uh, past the uh, uh, Henry Moore sculpture in front of us without hitting our heads on the trees <laughs> as we pass by and uh, towards the Parker Chapel and the tower itself. And we have the Coates Center, the original building on our right here, which is, again, very typical of O'Neill Ford's uh, t- uh, architecture with that kind of two-story, low-slung, um, very inviting uh, building, even though it's uh, kind of very long and, and horizontal in its fashion as well. Yes, absolutely. And, and the Esplanade is... Um again, one of the most important parts of the whole campus. It's the place where upper and lower campus seem to meet. And what I always think about as I walk along here, it's not just the buildings, which of course frame the space so nicely, but the um, materials like this this uh, brick, right, that we see on the sidewalks, the, um, the aggregate, the concrete that has little pebbles in it that are under our feet. It's these details of the campus that Ford and his colleagues thought about very, very carefully when they were designing and which really give it this particular richness. And again, they become part of your daily life, maybe without you even realizing it when you're a student or a faculty member here, when you work here. Um, but it's, it's these choices, right, that it's not just poured concrete or um, the cheapest, quickest material that we can find, uh, but that give the whole place a sense of variety and texture and detail. You mentioned the pebble brick that we're walking on right here, which is beautiful to, to uh, put under your feet. Maybe now would be a good time to talk about the Trinity Red brick, which is, uh, and, and how that came to be. Yes. So the Trinity red brick there are the bells the wonderful bells of parker of murkison tower um the trinity red brick is such a funny uh thing because we all think of it as the quintessential trinity material and indeed it is it is used over and over throughout the buildings that's one of the main reasons the campus feels so coherent um interestingly Ford did not want to use this brick. <laughs> it came uh, kind of like the lift slab system because it was relatively affordable. They were able to get it at a really, really uh, low price. Ford actually had hoped to use that sort of brown uh, beige brick that you see in a lot of San Antonio buildings um, from the 1960s, this Mexican brick, but uh, they ended up using this instead. So, um, as much as we all now respond to the brick and think of it as so trinity, that was actually not what the architect really most wanted. So we're here uh, at the base of the tower right now, and I'm looking up and you can see uh, the way it's... I think one of the interesting things I like about this is the way, again, it's curved inward, and uh, it's got the its unique cap on top as well, and it was constructed in a very interesting way as well, the way they kind of poured things downward from the top. Talk about the uh, the design and actual construction of this tower. 
So this was one of O'Neill Ford's very favorite buildings that he ever designed. Um, He loved that it seemed, he said, both old and new at the same time, that there was a sense of the ancient quality. He loved the way it expressed its structure and its materiality. Um, What the architects did was, was use the brick, the walls on the outside, and the inside of these, the walls of the tower, which are also, of course, the buttresses, as the forms into which the concrete and steel would be placed. So they built the tower up gradually and poured the concrete in as the brickwork on the outside uh, was laid so that the concrete actually um, uh, uh, bonded, as it were, to the brick itself so that there was intense structural integrity. Um, and that is part of what he loved about it. We, as a result, get this fabulous building um, that is in some ways so simple in its form and so very elegant, um, but also puts us in mind of a very long tradition in Western architecture uh, because of this uh, this brickwork, because of our knowledge of the construction material. Um, Ford thinks about brick, of course, as a great Roman material. He even talks about the Sumerians using brick He is thinking about a very long history of architecture in his own designs. Um, Our our sense of our own place here at Trinity is belonging to this much longer tradition uh, is also suggested, of course, by the the placement of the tower relative to, to the Parker Chapel, right? This is the Campanile, the bell tower of the chapel in our own little piazza here. It's very Italian type thing. It is, it is. And and you look back and you see examples from the Romanesque um, uh, period. Um, And and it's in the 1960s when this building and the tower and the piazza are being built that Ford really begins to think of it and the campus takes its shape as a kind of um, Italian hill town, right? That's the the reference. Uh, And it is one of the most important spaces in the campus, to be sure. Uh, one of the things that's wonderful about it, of course, we have the, the very familiar low brick walls that we see throughout the campus. But what you notice, and if we walk around there, mm-hmm. um, of course, you can perceive it. And, and I think anybody who has ever been late to class at Trinity <laughs> and is coming through this way knows very well that as soon as your foot, as ours just do here, sits, uh, touches down on this stone of the piazza, something changes, right? Because the texture, the surface of the paving material is different from what you've been walking on. That's one of the things that says this is a special space. And what it also does, if you're late to class or or to your office or whatever, is that it makes you slow down. You can't go fast on this surface. Um, and, And that's, of course, the point that whether you are a believer or not, this is a space for contemplation, for slowing down, for taking a break. Have you ever climbed to the top of the tower? I haven't. (laughs) I didn't go to Trinity, so I didn't get to go up on my first day, and I probably won't right before I leave either. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, we got the Parker Chapel in front of us right here, which is another very beautiful space. Uh, I've been inside it, you know, many times uh, for uh, uh, whether it's uh, services or wedding, um, uh, organ recital concerts as well. There's a... um, you know, there's beauty in here, and is it open or are we able to? It should to? be open. Okay, yeah. So we're gonna walk up right here. We've got this kind of like entryway right here as well into the Parker Chapel. That's kind of like leads you into it. There's this kind of uh, slab roof on the outside of the chapel, so it kind of uh, is a protector as if you're gathering around outside uh, after our services, uh, and it's also just kind of leads you in as well. Absolutely. Um, 
this is where the material variety, the richness of texture uh, continues in the sequence of spaces leading toward the chapel. Um, we're standing here under the portico. This is what you've been describing, the sort of awning in front of the building. Um, and I'm actually touching right now one of the uh, the, the concrete piers. And this is, a, again, a, yet a different material from what's on the, the ground beneath us, or certainly the red brick. It has a different color, a different texture. As we stand here, though, we then also see the beautiful wooden uh, doors, which are carved and painted this sort of gray-blue. We, of course, perceive the red brick. And right in front of us are the three fabulous doors um, designed and crafted by O'Neill Ford's um, extremely talented brother, Lynn. Okay, so let's open the doors. And we're walking inside Parker Chapel here. I, I instantly want to lower my voice. That's the idea. <laughs> yeah. And... Uh, We've got these beautiful carved doors again in front of us right here that you're referencing. So so the doors on the outside, of course, are lead, uh, and we're now inside, and, and these are the beautiful wooden doors that Lynn, uh, that Lynn carved. He also did the screens, right, that screen uh, the vestibule from the nave. Uh, he designed uh, the, the great wooden screen above the altar, and also the, the chandeliers, which we, um, we all know from the chapel. Um, this is an extraordinary space. Uh, it is, has this wonderful parabolic uh, vault, right, it's the, the arch form that is carried repeatedly through the arches over the course of the building. Um, in some ways, Ford is reworking ideas that he used at the little chapel in the woods in Denton from 1939. But this is really a very different building. It's much larger than the little chapel. Um, it, it has a, a, a much larger scale. Um, but as you said when we walked in, your instinct is immediately to become quiet, right, to become calm, to move and be differently, even though we're standing here on a Thursday morning, no one else is in here, we're not having any kind of service. Um, the the building is also very special because, of course, we have these um, beautiful uh, leaded windows by Ruth Dunn um, and the fabulous tapestries uh, by the great uh, textile and ceramic artist uh, Martha Mood. Um, the chapel really embodies the very best of the 1960s work of Ford here at Trinity and elsewhere, where we have the coming together of the different arts. It is in these details we talked about it outside already with the, the brick and the um, aggregate and the concrete there. It comes inside in the buildings as well. That, that, that's what makes this special, the kind of texture, the variety. Um, we see the segmental arches in the chapel that divide the nave from the aisles. He uses these a lot uh, in works of the 1960s. That form, the segmental arch, recalls both Roman architecture, but also Texas 19th century commercial buildings. If you look around San Antonio, you'll see that a lot in some of our older buildings. Um, Parker Chapel is a space that is very clearly in dialogue with the great traditions of church building um, for nearly 2,000 years. Uh, but it, it has these textures and these details that also say this is very much a 20th century building. I think that it, like the old parts of the campus, is powerful because you appreciate the beauty of these spaces slowly, gradually, over time. You may have a sense that this is a special place, but it's only, I think, through repeated slow contact that you begin to perceive just exactly how that works so that it rewards this kind of patient walking and looking. All right, well, let's walk back outside. 
So now we're walking from the Parker Chapel over to Storch Library. Or we called it Storch Library when yeah, I was here. Yeah, it was originally. Okay, yeah, yeah. 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 So, so it says George Storch Memorial well, Building, right. but I, I called it the George, the Storch Library. Right, and that's, it was it was the campus library until the Coates Library uh, opened, right, which is now north of us. Um, so the Storch Building was one of the first three buildings built with the lift slab system, uh, and. In many ways, it's the most interesting, I think, because what we have is a pair of volumes that are placed perpendicularly to one another. And what they do in stepping down the hill with these terraces is really show architecturally the change in the topography. You move through the sort of space that Storch creates down these terraces. And in the process, of course, originally what you saw, we're standing on this terrace just to the east of the lower level of Storch, was the skyline of San Antonio. Storch was originally the university library. Um, it is no accident that Ford designed it in this way. He put it here to stop the vehicular traffic from Bushnell, which would have come right through here as part of the urban grid of San Antonio. And of course, the th idea here is that students would sit in the library, they would look out the great windows, do their work here, and then turn and see the city, to see the skyline. They would see that skyline as they progressed down the hill from the academic part of campus back to their dorms. And that's a very powerful statement about what education is all about. You come here, you read, you learn, but you ultimately go back into the world to be an engaged, informed citizen and participate in the life of the community. As we walk back from Storch, into the academic heart of the campus once again. I wanted to talk uh, a little bit about Laurie Auditorium itself. It's a big structure. It posed a lot of challenges for Ford, and it doesn't look quite like some of the other buildings on campus. Um, so what were the challenges that he had with that building, um, and how did they overcome it in order to uh, make it work in the space that it needed to be in? Well, two of the, the two most important challenges were the challenge of capacity, how to create a building that could accommodate as many people as Lori does, and it is an enormous building. Uh, and secondly, to, um, to build a building on that very hilly site, right? That's the place in the campus where the land then, again, very precipitously drops down into another valley. Um, the architects came up with a fabulously clever scheme to put this huge parking garage underneath Laurie Auditorium. So they hide the cars from view in what is really an extremely elegant garage with the wonderful uh, wooden slats of the garage uh, and then build the fancy shaped auditorium uh, above it. We were talking earlier about brick. As you said, Lori, of course, is not clad in brick, and it's the biggest building on campus, so it's funny that we're always so concerned about brick in some ways. Um, the roofing material, interestingly as well, was developed by Texas Instruments, which was one of, other, uh, one of Ford's other really, really important clients, and that was a very um, uh, innovative material that they, that they uh, come up with to use there on the roof. One thing we haven't touched on today, and even though we're outside walking towards Lori, um, I think I'll ask you about this, is how much influence and how much of the design of the interior of buildings did Ford have uh, here at, at Trinity? 
uh, a lot. Originally, of course, um, he was designing the entire buildings, and so the interiors were as important as the exteriors. Um, in the 1950s, the furniture in the dorms was actually designed by Knoll, the very famous modern furniture uh, uh, corporation. Um, and, you know, this is one of the things that's, of course, a challenge as you live uh, with older buildings, is things do have to change over time. Um, we don't have that many Ford interiors. We do still, of course, with the Parker Chapel and Chapman, um, but but many of them have been altered. So, yeah, those 1970s era chairs that I probably sat on it made their way all the way through the 1980s and, and early 90s when I was here. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly, right, right. Um, but but you know, it's it's an important point because we think of campuses, I think, mostly on the outside, but the interiors are as important. Um, and as we go forward, it's be interesting to think about ways to, in some way, evoke, not try to recreate, certainly, um, but evoke those interiors. You know, people are so excited about mid-century modern things these days. Everybody remembers Mad Men. Um, we've got a tremendous opportunity here to kind of capitalize on that interest and it really was great design yeah and it reminds me of our earlier reference to Wright who was so domineering when it came to like the furniture and stuff that mm-hmm. it was inside his buildings I guess that was what I was getting at oh, yeah. it's like also is that did have Ford have that same control you know that he wanted over that as well or was he more flexible he was I, I think certainly more flexible than Wright um, you know he he worked as we were saying so closely with his brother uh, who also designed furniture so many um, of, of Ford's houses especially have a, a sort of uniformity also because the the patrons the owners were very conscious about what they were doing and would often buy modern furniture but but he didn't get down to the level of, uh, of kind of obsession about it that Wright did. All right, so we're back inside now, and uh, let's go back in the studio, and we'll, we'll wrap up our, our little tour with a, a little bit more talk. Great. Thanks so much. Hello, this is Danny Anderson, president of Trinity University. Thank you for listening to the Learning Together podcast series brought to you by Trinity's Office of Alumni Relations and Development and produced here on campus by our friends at KRTU 91.7 FM. We're so glad you tuned in today and we appreciate your continued support of lifelong learning at Trinity University. So that was great to be able to see kind of how the buildings hang together on Mm -hmm. campus and experience walking through them and uh, to see you know, kind of how each building relates to one another, just as you said earlier, before we walked outside about how um, the buildings um, have just enough space in between them to uh, create space to do other things. Mm -hmm. And um, their nonlinear aspect of the campus, Mm -hmm. which encourages wandering, I think, which is really wonderful as well. Right, right, exactly. Um, And this is one of the things that I just love about this campus. Um, You know, I have the pleasure of being here as a faculty member, but also getting, of course, to work very closely um, with um, not just in my research about the the campus, but to hear from students about their experience of it. Um, And it seems to me that that the wandering, that the paths, that the irregularities are very much a kind of uh, embodiment of the journey of an education, uh, of what our students do over four years at Trinity. and to me, that's what makes this place so powerful, um, that the really very brave uh, Trinity administration and trustees said, we're not going to 
level the site. We're not going to cut straight lines through it. And I don't know if they necessarily thought about that in any kind of metaphorical way, but they were willing to support what was a very different kind of architectural vision at that point. This doesn't look like Rice. This doesn't look like the University of Texas or SMU. Um, and indeed, the kind of education that you get here is different. That um, we encourage our students, and this has been true of the Trinity curriculum for a long time now, to explore, to learn widely. This is what a liberal arts education is and does. And, and we all know, especially those of us who have been out of college, that, that, that the growth doesn't end, that you see new things, that you discover new things as you grow and change. And, and in the ways that the physical environment supports that, um, I, I think that, uh, that that's a really important experience for Trinity students and, and in some ways maybe even more important later on when you leave campus and, and come and think about your time here. That's absolutely right. I mean, like when I came to campus, and I don't know if this was something that was, you know, inspired by the architecture or not, but intrinsically, I think it go, gets in you when you're here. Mm -hmm. And um, I didn't come to Trinity planning to be, I, I knew I was going into communication, mm -hmm. but I didn't come here planning to be an art and art history minor, but that happened. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and that's that's what we love, right? We we want people to come here and, and discover new passions and new interests. Um, and, you know, I think probably a great many students, and this isn't, unique to Trinity necessarily, but but before they even matriculate, perhaps, they come and visit and they have that feeling, oh, I could be here. This feels right to me. Right. This is someplace I can envision myself. That's about the landscape and the architecture and the physical place of the campus, as much as it's about anything else, right? Um, and the way in which then the campus is not just the kind of backdrop for the development of the wonderful friendships that we make in college or just the setting for a kind of intellectual maturation, but that it is a part of the fabric of, of the growth that happens here in so many ways. Um, and I, I have talked, I, one of my, my good friends is actually an architectural historian who was herself a Trinity um, student, graduated from Trinity, and, and she's talked about that and talked about talking to her friends who said, yeah, you know, I, I think back on it and how how important and powerful that was. Um, so, Well, there's good news for the future of Trinity mm -hmm. University in that um, it has been uh, applied, uh, their university has applied to place this campus mm -hmm. on the National Register of Historic Places. Did I get right. that correct? Yes. Uh -huh. yes. yes. So. so what this means is that um, the uh, the university has applied for uh the camp or for part of the campus to be uh, designated as a historic district. Uh, and it will then, uh, assuming that it's passed, as I'm, I'm sure it will be, uh, be placed on the National Register as a, as a historic district that is of significance at the state level, that is of importance to Texas as a whole. The National Register is a program administered through the National Park Service or from the National Park Service and administered through the states. Um, this is a really, I think, exciting development. Uh, it, it, means that the university is saying that our campus is really important and that we want to show the world that, that we want to um, enter our little piece of American architectural history officially into the record um, and to help maybe even more officially commit to taking care of these buildings uh, and, and, and um, preserving them. Um, I, I think that it's a, it's a really exciting thing as an architectural historian. I'm delighted to see it. Um, and uh, I, I hope that it will be a kind of um, basis for um, 
future decision making about about how the campus grows, right? This new, renewed interest in, in Ford's work and uh, the principles that undergirded it. Well, Catherine O'Rourke, mm-hmm. thanks so much. This has been a pleasure. Uh, a pleasure for me. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. Today's podcast was recorded and produced by Trinity University's KRTU radio station for the Office of Alumni Relations and Development. New podcasts will be released on the first Tuesday of each month. For more information about our Learning Together podcast series or to suggest topics for future consideration, email us at alumnipodcast at trinity.edu.